Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Learning at Home podcast. I'm your host, as usual, Gil Cadiz, and today I'm going to be talking to one of my colleagues, uh, Becky Ward. She is a certified teacher and also a tutor and uh, an experienced one at that. So she works here at our home office to help us with tutor engagement. She's a tutor engagement specialist. And she has a lot of insight on something called learning styles. Now, that's not an uncommon term, but today we're going to be flushing out what exactly learning styles are and how do we use them with younger students especially. And for any aspiring student out there, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about learning styles, this episode is for you. So check this out. We've got Becky Ward. Becky Ward, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. Thanks for having me, Gil. So today, as mentioned in the introduction, we are going to be talking about learning styles. So let's hop right into this, the discussion. And I just wanted to know, first of all, I'm going to pretend like I don't know anything because I believe I've seen or I've heard a, pr- a presentation of yours in the past. But what exactly are learning styles? Can we define them? So learning styles are essentially just the way that people prefer to learn. Um, and it's something that's just kind of inherent. A lot of people don't realize that they have a learning style, uh, but everybody kind of finds certain things more engaging. They're able to interact with them a little bit more, and they find that the information sticks a little better if it's presented in a particular way. So the three learning styles are auditory, visual, and kinesthetic, which is also sometimes called tactile. So for somebody who's an auditory learner, they tend to retain information and are best engaged through things that um, engage their sense of hearing. So that could be things like music, listening to lectures, um, watching videos, that kind of thing. So anything that's engaging their sense of hearing is going to have a bigger impact on their ability to learn and retain that information. Somebody who's a visual learner uh, is going to prefer visual things. So they're really going to like things like charts and graphs and diagrams, videos again, um, and that's the way that they're going to retain information. People who are visual learners tend to often think in images. So um, if they're trying to remember a particular concept, they're likely going to recall a diagram that they've seen or a model that they've worked with as opposed to remembering what was written specifically in the textbook. And then finally, we have kinesthetic or tactile learners. And those learners are most engaged when they're able to interact with what it is that they're learning. So they like to be hands-on. So people who are tactile or kinesthetic, they want to be able to build a model or they want to use math manipulatives and be able to count out things like M&Ms or different candy and figure out how this math is working by being able to manipulate the things in their environment. And that's how it's going to stick best for them. So the big thing to remember with learning styles, though, is that while people tend to have a predominant learning style, you don't have to necessarily just be one. So for example, I am a primarily visual learner, uh, but I also have some auditory preference as well, which means that I like to see images, but I benefit from hearing it as well. So it's about finding what works for a particular student. It's not about sticking them in a box. It's about finding ways to start engaging them in learning, uh, getting them interested, and finding things that work for them. Interesting. And I think, in uh, so when you were defining each of the learning styles, uh, you did mention that it's more of a preference. Is that true? Is it more along the lines of people uh, having a preference for learning versus how their brain actually works? 
Yeah, so there's a lot of research into learning styles uh, as with any educational theory, because that's what it is. It's an educational theory. There's things that support it, things that refute it. Um, what it comes down to, though, is that it, it is more of a preference than necessarily a difference in the way that your brain works. But it's not a preference that you're really conscious of. It's just a way, the way that you're able to interact with that information appeals to you. Um, so, for example, children, when they're young, are typically very tactile or kinesthetic learners. They tend to benefit really well from hands-on. That's why things like Play-Doh and Lego and models, are, they're so appealing to kids because they like that interaction with things. And then as you grow, your preferences change, and you may find that even though you were very kinesthetic when you were young, now you're more of a visual learner mm -hmm. because you're starting to understand those graphics and images a little bit more, and that speaks to you more. So it's something that's very fluid, um, and it can change as you age, and it can change subject to subject as well. So for me, like I said, I'm, I'm very visual and auditory, but when it comes to math, you better give me something that I can put my hands on. Otherwise, I just don't understand it. So I benefit strongly from math manipulatives um, and that kind of thing that I can interact with. But in other subjects, if I sit through a lecture, I'm perfectly fine. So it really is a fluid Thing. It's not, like I said, it's not about putting people in a box. It's not a definite, this is who you are. Um, but it's more of just a way to start looking at how we learn. That's really interesting because to, to, to this day, I still feel like Lego is super fun to play with. Oh, I know. <laughs> I was thinking, so I'm just kind of thinking this out loud. So if I'm playing with Lego and I'm trying to learn something, say, related to Lego, like math. So I want to know how many blocks I have or how maybe measure the height of something. Now... Even though I feel like it's fun putting my hands on the Lego and building out the, say, a structure myself before I measure it, um, I think that would help me tactile in a tactile sense. But also I'm looking at the Lego so I can see that there's a visual aspect to playing with it as well. How exactly can we zero down as, as educators on, say, a student's learning style? Is there a kind of way or technique that we can use? So you'll find with a lot of uh, different strategies for learning styles that they do overlap. So for example, video is really good for somebody who's a visual learner, but it can also be beneficial for somebody who's an auditory learner as well. So you'll find that just like it's not a concrete definition for what type of learner you are, it's not a concrete definition of this is a, a visual strategy only. Um, and so like you said, using something like Lego or a model, it's, it's kinesthetic in that they can put it together and interact with it, but it's also visual as in they're getting that visual representation of the concept uh, that they can then examine. So as educators, um, the biggest way to find out what kind of a, a learner a student is, is to see what kind of things they tend to gravitate towards. Uh, so for example, I know I've seen this in my youngest son, he's in kindergarten and they have free play. And he tends oh, to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And so he's got all kinds of options, but he tends to gravitate towards the kinesthetic things like Lego. Whereas my older son, he tends to gravitate towards the visual things like the art, like the art uh, supplies. And he wants to make pictures and drawings and things. So I can see that my younger son is most likely more of a kinesthetic learner. And my older son is more likely a visual learner, but there are also tons of, um, 
they call them inventories that you can find online. And so you can just search learning style test or learning style inventory. And there's a ton of questions out there uh, that you can ask your child or that you can fill out yourself uh, to have an idea of what kind of learner you are. And it's just questions on like, how do you like to spend your time? How do you feel best organized? What kind of things do you prefer? Uh, because again, it's preferences. So if you tend to be somebody who likes to have um, a planner and write everything down and you like lists and you may be more of a visual person. So it's just a matter of, of figuring out what those preferences are. Awesome. I've heard also of our, some of our educational consultants actually using those assessments online. So when they're working with a the student, they can actually uh, provide that online assessment and the student would fill it out and then they'd get a better idea of what they're um, I'm guessing that's a pretty reliable way of getting, I guess, a better idea of somebody's learning style. Yeah, there's no definite formula for this is what a visual learner looks like. Um, because as I said, you can have a predominance, but then you can also benefit from other strategies as well. So the educational consultants do go out and they do give a learning styles inventory uh, to get an idea of what a student's learning style is. And that's a great benefit because when they're matched with a tutor, and I can tell you, from experience as a tutor, uh, if you have an idea of what the student's learning style is, you can come in at that first session with some strategies already prepared mm -hmm. that you're confident the student will engage with and be interested in. Um, and if you don't have that, you kind of go in and say, well, maybe this will work, maybe this will work. And you may end up spending an entire hour session and not achieving anything because nothing worked. Hmm. Whereas if I go in and know that this student is a visual student, I'm going to come prepared with some videos and some things to catch that visual aspect of their, of their interest. You know, and if they're auditory, maybe I'll come in with some sort of song or something that we can relate to what they're learning about uh, in order to help them remember it and really grab them and get them interested in tutoring. That's really cool. And it's funny because you host the Tutor Talk podcast. And it's weird that we're interviewing each other in a way. I know. I know. We've switched roles. <laughs> I've interviewed you, and now it's it's my turn. That's so awesome. All right. Which leads us to our next big question here. So why are learning styles so important? Why is it important that we as educators get a better idea of our students' learning styles? Um, the biggest thing is to catch their interest. Hmm. Because if somebody isn't interested in learning something, they're not going to learn it. Um, so think about the subject that you find the most boring out of every single subject. Physics. Right? No. I was just going to say, for me, it's like physics, right? I love science, but physics kind of goes over my head. Sorry for all those physics people out there. Yes, we love you physics people, but it's just not my bad. <laughs> so for example, I love history, but there are lots of people out there who find history very dry and boring. Because I'm engaged in history, I could sit through an entire two-hour documentary on the Battle of Britain in World War II and be enthralled with it the entire time. I'm going to pick up all kinds of learnings from that. But if you're not the least bit interested and you find it really dry, you're probably going to spend two hours twiddling your thumbs and looking off into space, and you may pick up one or two things. But you're not going to come away with the same knowledge that I did because you're not engaged. So the biggest thing with learning styles is it's a way to start that engagement process. So as I said, when a tutor comes in, they've got some strategies in their tutoring bag that they can start with right off the bat. And so for students, the more ways that we can pique their interest and get them thinking, oh, wow, this is so cool, or I'm really interested in this, then the better off they're going to be, the more they're going to be able to learn. 
The other thing with it is it can really aid in memory as well. So, for example, I have been out of high school for a long time. Um, <laughs> more years than I care to admit. But I still remember that uh, I had a lab partner in grade 10 biology, and we were talking about mitosis. And we were having trouble remembering the phases of mitosis. Oh, that sounds like fun. And so we made up a little rhyme. And I still remember that rhyme. I'm not going to say it because it's so lame. But I still <laughs> remember that that rhyme. And I can still tell you the phases of mitosis all these years later. Because we used what's called a mnemonic strategy. So we engaged our auditory learning style. And we associated what we needed to learn with something auditory. So we were able to remember it. Um, and I've used that strategy with students so many times. I had a student in math a couple of years ago, two years ago now, and uh, she was in grade one and we were working on place value. And she was having a really hard time remembering we were working with the place value cubes. So one cube is counts for one, and then a, a rod of 10 cubes counts for 10, and then a big flat of 100 counts for 100. She was having a lot of trouble with that. So we created a song and we would stand up and we would march in place. And I would sing, I don't know what I've been told. And tens are, or tens are small and ones are tall. And that <laughs> helped her remember it. Um, so she, she was able to go to class and sing to herself, tens are tall and ones are small. So she was able to look at the rod and say, right, that's 10. And then look at the cube and say, right, that's one. Um, but it's just a little strategy that appealed to her learning style and allowed her to get through and, and remember important information. So I think that it's super interesting. You can learn from song, which I think I'm more of an auditory learner. So I do learn from song, I think, and that's just a propensity. I think I'm drawn to music, but all right. So I think we've kind of answered that major question where it's more about engaging the student or the learner. So as far as, and I think... Uh, part of the podcast is we want to give useful tips to anybody listening to this, whether they're parents or students or striving tutors even, though I don't want to step on any of your toes of your audience. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that, uh, if you do have any interesting tips to share with, say, parents or teachers in using learning styles, say either in the classroom or at the home setting, I think let's start with parents. What are some useful tips that parents can use when they're either teaching their children and or encouraging their children to learn using their learning style? I think the biggest thing is uh, to remember creativity is key. Um, it's really important to remember that learning doesn't have to take place at a desk or a kitchen table, and it doesn't have to involve a piece of paper and a pencil at all. Awesome. So get as creative as you possibly can. Um, I think it's really important to pull in things that you wouldn't normally look at as a learning tool. So board games can be a huge one. Um, if your your child's visual and even kinesthetic, it could be a kinesthetic thing as well, you can change board games up to turn them into a learning game. One of my favorite is is to use the learning or sorry, the board game at Candyland. And so the newer versions come with a spinner as opposed to the cards we had when, when we were younger. <laughs> and uh, I just use a bit of washi tape, which is just like a removable paper tape. And if we're learning math, I can put some math facts on that tape and I just stick it on the spinner. Or if we're learning uh, phonics, I can put some phonics on there. And then when the child spins and whatever they land on, they have to either give me the letter sound or solve the math problem and they can move to the coinciding color that's on the spinner. And it's just something really simple, but kids really love it and it gets them engaged in, in those skills while we're still playing and having fun. 
Um, another big one is to remember that anything can be reading material. So for a lot of students, they struggle with reading. Um, and a lot of parents I've, I've noticed in the past um, and talking to some of my friends as well, they shy away from things like comic books because mm-hmm. they say, well, it's not quality reading, but it is you know, your child is reading and there are so many graphic novels out there and you can even get classic literature in graphic novel form. I have a copy of The Hobbit in graphic novel form. It's great. (laughs) I love it. But it's, it's just a new way to engage readers. So if you have a reluctant reader, um, and they're a visual person, they enjoy comic books, search out some of those graphic novels uh, because it's all quality reading material. So whether they're reading a comic book or a magazine or a website, it's all still reading, um, but it's about finding what appeals to them and allowing them to explore those things. Uh, So that can be really beneficial as well. Um, And then the other thing I'd say is that things like Lego, they can totally be learning games as well. Um, so one of the strategies I used with my own kids when they were young and learning how to read was we took some old Lego, the bigger Lego, um, not the great big stuff, but like the medium sized stuff, you know, that they couldn't put in their mouths and swallow, (laughs) uh, when they were old enough that they could graduate to the small Lego, we used those bigger Legos and I would write letter blends on it. So I would write like S H and then we'd have other letters as well. And we'd put them together in order to make words. So we'd end up with like a C and then a block that had AT on it. And we'd put them side by side and we'd spell cat. And then we'd build another word on top of it. So we'd have OG and a D and we'd spell dog. And so we'd build these word towers just by taking these blocks with different blends on it and putting them together. And so my kids really enjoyed that and they're both well advanced in their reading now. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'd like to say it was my Lego strategy. But yeah, so it's it's all about getting creative and seeing what you can find around the home in order to engage those senses for them and, and promote that learning. Um, and it's about thinking outside the box. So you'd be amazed at the things that can be turned into a learning tool and the kids don't even realize they're learning. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, now I'm thinking like, can we get a partnership with Lego just yeah, to make so, that happen? Yeah. <laughs> All right. If you're listening, Lego, it's... That's really cool. I think that's a really cool idea to engage younger folks, especially, or myself. I'd be engaged with that. Like, yeah. 10 letter words. Yeah. <laughs> you can do that as adults. Oh, well, and that's the thing. There are so... it's. Like I said, it's all about thinking outside the box. There are so many things that you can do and use. You know, you can use uh, Play-Doh or plasticine or modeling clay, and you can make all kinds of different models out of that. Um, oh, there's one thing that I did want to mention that I almost forgot. There's a, uh, a board game out there that actually appeals to a lot of learning styles, and you can turn that into an educational thing as well. But it's something I actually learned about in teacher's college hmm. uh, when I was becoming a certified teacher. So it's called Cranium. And um, it's got, depending on what card you draw, you may have to do something like sing a song or you may have to draw a picture or you may have to make a model. It actually comes with a chunk of modeling clay. Um, So that can be a really fun game to play with the kids just as a game. But you can also associate it with different things that they're trying to learn or study. um, And you can turn that into a learning game as well. So it's just all about finding those little tricks. There it is, cranium. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a lot of fun to play just as a game. Yeah, actually. So, <laughs> yeah. Pretty engaging. Yeah. 
All right, and I think the last piece would be for teachers. Now, you are an experienced teacher and a certified teacher. Now, I think um, as a teacher, is it something, especially in a classroom environment, working with more than one student, um, is it possible and or realistic to implement certain strategies in the classroom to help teach based on your students' learning styles, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So it's something that, for me, was part of my teacher education. Um, And it's all about what's called differentiated instruction. So it's the idea that you have a lesson, that this is the content you need to teach your students, and looking at different learning styles and saying, okay, I have a kinesthetic piece here, I have a visual piece here, and I have an auditory piece here. So it could be something, for example, like say... Just to go back to history, because that's one of my teachables. Uh, (laughs) But you're going to do a history unit, so you play them a piece of music. And then you show them a video on the same topic. And then you have them do some sort of activity, like a reenactment. Well, there you've got your kinesthetic, your visual, and your auditory all at the same time. Mm, Yeah, so it is possible to do. Uh, Some subjects are a little more challenging than others. Um, but it's still possible, and it's all about getting creative. The big thing to remember, though, is when you're in a classroom setting is that it's difficult when you have 30-plus students True. to hit everybody. So teachers, we have to aim for the middle you know, and hope to catch as many as you can. So there will always be students on either side um, that, got, that get missed. So that's where tutoring plays a big role because the tutor is able to help fill those gaps uh, because the teacher is shooting for the middle Um, and so if the student is you know having a little bit of difficulty the tutor can work one-on-one with them uh, to help build back that stuff that they're missing so in the classroom in tutoring and in your home uh, learning styles can definitely be used Um, but you've got to you've got to get creative and and see what you can find Um, and it's helpful too to talk to your to talk to your child and ask them what kind of things that they find the most engaging um, and have chats with them and say, you know, we played this game yesterday. Did you like it? What didn't you like about it? Do you want to try something different? You know, maybe they liked the uh, maybe they liked the game, the Candyland game with the different letters <laughs> on it, uh, but they're not a fan of Candyland. Well, OK, so maybe we can try it with Battleship instead or some other game. Uh, so have a running dialogue. Uh, with your students and and help them understand how it is that they learn Um, because it's a valuable skill that kids develop uh, that metacognition to understand that learning is a process and and how it works best for them because it's really beneficial the older they get especially when they get into university or college uh, to be able to understand that this is what works for me this is how I learn Um, and we're all part of that process teachers tutors parents uh, helping them figure out what kind of learner they are Awesome. And I think, shameless plugs aside, I think that you, you kind of mentioned this, and that's the benefit of having a one-on-one session with a tutor, because mm-hmm. you did mention that it's a little harder, of course, to manage a, a class of 30-plus students. And like That's already a lot. 30 students is huge, so, yeah. at least in my eyes. So um, when we, we have those one-on-one sessions, it just seems a lot easier to really ze- uh, zero in and help that student one-on-one. So that's kind of the benefit of having a one-on-one session with tutors. Yeah, absolutely, because it's focused to your child's particular needs. Like I said, in the classroom, the teacher's kind of shooting for that average student. Mm, um, and if and if your child doesn't fall into that average student uh, in that subject or overall, 
then they end up getting missed. And so with the tutor being focused directly on them, they're able to fill in those gaps and, uh, and students don't fall behind or they're able to catch up. Uh, so it can be really, really beneficial. Awesome. All right, Becky, thank you so much for being part of today's podcast. That was a really fun discussion. Thanks, Gil. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I'm going to have to have you on my podcast again. Yes. <laughs> awesome. And that wraps it up, folks. All right, and that concludes our discussion today on learning styles. My biggest takeaway is how you can be creative with learning styles because really when you're using Lego, board games, or video, that's pretty awesome. And I kind of wish when I was a tutor as many sessions as I've had in the past that I've kind of in in my college workshops, I wish I kind of capitalized on learning styles in the past. But that's why we have this podcast for you. So I just wanted to give a big shout out and thank you to Becky. She's such an awesome colleague. And to you, the audience, if you want to listen to our other episodes, you can always visit the Learning at Home podcast on Buzzsprout, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. I am your host, Gil Cadiz, signing out. And until next time, we'll see you in the next episode. Take care, everybody. Bye.